0: You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm your host, Lori Rowlandson. And in today's episode, we're going to learn about co working strategies from our guest speaker, Jamie Orr from Jelly Switch. How are you, Jamie?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, that's great. In today's episode Jamie's going to share with us a little bit more about how co-working is transforming businesses including how it's impacting traditional corporate real estate. I'm really excited to hear your perspective Jamie because I think you know we talk a lot about the big players in co-working and some of them have become controversial as of recent and they're going through some tough times but I just really want to remind people that there are a lot of co-working options out there and they provide a, an exciting and differentiated offering. And I think it's a category of a real estate offering, it's not one company specific. I, I love how co working companies are now trying to out-coolify each other to compete. I, I think I maybe just made up a word, outcoolify, but you know what I mean. It's competing on a completely different level of experience that I think is going to result and a better offering for consumers. So I'm quite excited about that. But before we get it, uh, started on the presentation, I'd just like to hear a little bit more about you, Jamie. Uh, you know, I'm always delighted to hear about women in leadership roles related to emerging and disruptive trends, such as coworking. How did you become interested in coworking and how did you get to where you are today? Could you just tell us a little bit more background on you and your company?
1: Sure. So. Um- my current role is I'm, I'm the founder of the, the tech company, Jelly Switch. And so we offer a mobile first platform that's custom branded for coworking spaces and, and all flexible workspaces. For the past five and a half years, I've also been the owner and operator of Cowork Tahoe, which is a 13,000 square foot co-working space in beautiful Lake Tahoe, California. So we are in a very small mountain town. But I think it's it's interesting that before that i was actually in silicon valley and i was a physics professor so i have a phd in theoretical physics so i'm an academic by training that has uh, since run away to the mountains and founded a co-working company well now two co-working companies and we really just uh, my husband and i wanted to get we wanted to get away from silicon valley and the city life we were spending way too many hours of our day in traffic, I mean, the congestion was terrible. And we had uh, a young daughter at the time, she was two, and we realized that we were spending as much time as possible away from Silicon Valley and up in the mountains of Tahoe. And so at one point we just looked at each other and we decided to leave and to make it work in the mountains and to really build something that could help other people follow that same path and work remotely in a place that they love to live.
0: Wow, what a vision and brave and so grounded in what really matters. And I really love seeing women leaders that can really find that balance. There's such a focus on wellness and well-being and balance. And then to have a woman leader such as yourself pioneer that, I really applaud you for taking a leadership role in your life as well as in our industry to find that balance. So that's a model for all of us. So um, how did you become specifically interested in co-working I mean you could have done so many things I mean you're a physicist how does a physicist become a pioneer in co-working Tell me about your your mental journey as to how you decided to get into co-working
1: so when I was when I was teaching in Silicon Valley I was also uh, doing some research at the NASA Center there and I started to work with a number of different startup companies that were focused on sustainability and clean tech and environmental issues. And so I, I really got a lot of experience and exposure to the startup world. My husband was doing early stage sales for startups, and I, I really loved the passion and the energy of entrepreneurship. But one of the things that I've always been really passionate about on the physics side is this idea of, of building movements out of, you know, lots and lots of people or systems or atoms and really seeing how they can transform and this, this idea of what emerges from, from that behavior. And so to be able to, to start from scratch uh, somewhere in Tahoe where there was no co-working and start to try to pull those people together and see what came out of it, I think that's what really, really kind of got my my juices flowing, so to speak, and really got me excited about about the co-working idea and this, this amazing community that has come out of it.
0: So tell me a little bit about your, your organizations, uh, the, the co-working companies that you're involved with. What... What is the underlying philosophy of servitude that you've designed them to provide the, your stakeholders that, that working at those premises?
1: The, the main premise is flexibility. And so I completely and firmly believe that the future of work is distributed and that we should be able to work from wherever we choose to live and that companies should hire the best person for the job, not the best person that's willing to move to their headquarters. And so by providing flexibility, we can actually start implementing that and really creating infrastructure around that change. And I do think it is a cultural change that that needs Mm -hmm. to happen, is happening, and will continue to grow. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Without further ado, we're going to hand it over to you to go through a few slides that will continue to inform us a little bit more about co-working as a strategy and just that, uh, that channel as um, an overall approach to real estate
1: all right, so as I was saying, I, I really truly believe that co-working is going to play a key role in the future of work. And so this slide here is actually a photo of the front entrance of our co-working space up in Tahoe. So Co-Work Tahoe, we have in the background, you, you see a nice uh, painting of John Muir, uh, who is someone we, we hold very dear in the Tahoe mm-hmm. area. So the future of work is distributed and focusing on flexibility is what's going to get us there. And this, this is something that drives me every single day. But it's really important to realize that it's not just me beating this drum in a tiny mountain town in Tahoe because I want to be where it's, it's uh, easy to get to the ski slopes. <laughs> okay. I pulled some data from um, the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics as well as WeWork's S1 and some other sources to show that the potential for distributed work is incredible. So of the existing workforce in the United States, It's estimated that over 70 million people would be able to partake in at least part-time remote or distributed work. Now, if you squint really, really, really carefully, there's a tiny little gray bar at the very bottom of this graph. That is the number of workers uh, that belong to WeWork. And so they're really a tiny part of this market. And that orange line is kind of the existing members of co-working spaces, which is still already in the millions as we are today. So some fun facts about coworking, because like I said, the future of work is also flexible. Uh, There are actually over 35,000 flexible workspaces globally. That's more than Starbucks locations. And it's estimated that by 2030, that it could be up to 30% of the United States office stock in commercial real estate. And, you know, these numbers actually track really similarly with the global market. I just like to focus on the United States because that's where, where I am. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about um, the traditional startup or the freelancer, the digital nomad. It, it's estimated that 40% of flexible workspace demand is going to come from large and corporate companies. So that market is changing very quickly and everyone is getting on board. So this is a really great graph that that Jones Lang LaSalle actually just released um, their United States Office Outlook for Q3 this year. And you can see just the leasing activity around coworking that went from 2.9% in 2017 and two bars over in 2019 is 12.5%. That's incredible growth. And so they really see that flexibility is driving this this shift in the leasing market, and it's not expected to slow down anytime soon. And I'd also like to really hammer in that the future of work is already here. So I have to share this photo because it's probably one of my favorites from my experience here. For two years, we actually partnered with Heavenly Ski Resort, which is our local ski resort here. It is part of the the Vail network of, of mountains, and opened a co-working space on the mountain. This was the first ski-in, ski-out co-working space in the world. You had to take the tram or a chairlift to get to it. It was about 800 square feet, and so our members would use this. A lot of visitors would as well, and we were able to take our backpacks with us to the mountain, make sure we got the freshest tracks and didn't miss that conference call by having to go back down. So it was, uh, it was quite a treat. And, you know, you're seeing all sorts of niche co-working spaces uh, pop up all over the place because really it is about flexibility, even if flexibility means working from the ski slopes. That's
0: amazing. You know, we talk about work-life balance, but what you're sharing is not only completely cool, but it facilitates work-life integration. I think Work-life balance implies like a zero sum. I think work and life has become ubiquitous. You know, uh, we've been working from home in the evenings for quite some time, but sometimes we've got to drop the kids off or we have, you know, other appointments. And so to have that flexibility where you can really integrate your work in your life just makes you healthier and happier. I haven't heard of this example. This is great.
1: I found that you know, some people ask like, oh, you know, shouldn't you not be working if you're skiing? But by being able to integrate it, as you were saying, I find that I actually get more time with my family. I get more time on vacations because I'm not having to take PTO or, you know, I'm not sacrificing that. You know, my, my daughter's time in ski school, if just because I have one conference call that I don't want to reschedule. So I've, I feel like I've actually enriched my life by integrating this type of, of work life integration.
0: I I totally agree with you and I think you you build healthier and more productive employees when you can integrate work in life. I think we've I think one of the reasons why there's a stigmatism around it because I know there's some I think what you're you're talking about here is great like the the ski slope co-working location but let's face it there's a lot of people out there their reaction would be that's crazy or that's kooky but I want to defend that for a second because I think that we have to move beyond butts and seats and that is a form of productivity i think part of the reason why organizations are reluctant to move to either a distributed workplace even though they've got they've started on that path there's still some cultural resistance to that right and that's why we've been talking about change management so much as a profession but i think that we are not good at measuring by outcomes i think we're still very much anchored into the traditional hr metric where you know, butts in seats. If you're not in the office, then you're not working. And so I think as leaders, we need to manage more by outcomes, which is very important. So what, and the HR process today is set your annual objectives and at the end of the year, you have a review and see if you achieve those objectives. And it's not that effective. And I think we need shorter, more agile bursts of outcomes so that we have that interaction and direction Um, I personally use three by three updates with my team members. So every Monday we have either a call or a meeting and it's just our one mandatory standing meeting. And you say, what are the three things you accomplished last week? And what are the three things you're going to do this week? And, you know, as priorities change, let's face it, nothing stays the same for a year. It allows you to continue to coach and inform and keep an eye on productivity. Like what are you actually producing? And I tell the team, you know, having a meeting is not an outcome. It's like, what did you actually do to move the needle? So I think part of the uh, success mechanism be- behind work-life, mechan- uh, work-life integration, I should say, is around changing the HR process of how we support more outcomes. The second thing I think you touched on, Jamie, is the workforce is becoming more distributed. I love that trend that you showed, not only on the workforce, but on spaces. And we just need to get more sophisticated on how we're supporting that. And One of the areas we're seeing more growth, and it's a whole other topic that we have on leading innovation at work, is the gig economy and how that's affecting work. And gig economy workers, I'm sure, is not new to you, Jamie, but if you haven't heard of this term already, these are people that work gig to gig. So it's a a fancy way, I guess, of saying uh, independent contractors. It's a more traditional term. But because talent is so spread out, I loved what you said about moving to the city that you're in. The best talent exists all over the world and if you're going to get the best people, getting access to the best people, they might not sit in your city at your location within commuting distance to your office building. And they might not be willing to work there and there might not be anybody in your town that you can find or who wants to accept a a B or a C or a D player. You want the A player, right? You want the best talent. So we've gotta be flexible and a lot of organizations are looking towards gig economy workers to augment their workforce. And so we need to be able to equip them with co-working abilities to do that. So I thought that was a whole other thing. And the last thing I loved about your presentation was the explanation of the market. And everybody looks at WeWork as you know, I think sometimes people think it's the only solution, and they're a great company, even though I know they're going through some turbulence, but, you know, it's a category that we need to think of it categorically. This is not something that is just for small to medium-sized businesses. This is how we were, are all going to work in the future. This is the future of real estate, is flexible real estate assets. and. You know, we saw Airbnb disrupting the hoteling industry. If we think that trend is not coming to commercial real estate, we're ostriches. Like, this is coming to our profession. And I think more and more is coming this way. You get happier, healthier spaces. And I think, <laughs> I mean, talking about out spaces, I mean, <laughs> that is the most remarkable example I've seen yet. And I think I love the idea that co-working organizations are going to compete to be relevant, productive, enabling productivity of their employees, because the vibe you get from the workplace, the choices of work settings that you get in the workplace are really what unlocks productivity, providing choices for individuals that have different personalities or different things that they're doing that day. And uh, I really see those three things that you've underlined as being such important um, factors in the trend of co-working. So, thank you for myth-busting as well, I think Jamie on some of those things that people have paradigms around what co-working is and what it actually does. But I can easily see this going to and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, by 2025, I see this being at least a third of big real estate portfolios working towards that agile space. I don't know, what do you think about that Jamie as far as I- the adoption
1: I absolutely agree. And uh, we do see more and more large corporations starting to look at the coworking model, whether it's, it's modeling their own headquarters and doing full-blown office redesign. It's, it's like you said, it's that change management and HR and really starting to think about employees, not as, as butts in seats, but as um, occupiers of space travelers within space so that you can think about uh, it's, you know what do they need if they're traveling, or if they are in a in a remote office, or a satellite office, or a home office, and and understanding that we need to support work wherever it's being done. And I do think that turning the the commercial real estate industry into in, into one that's much more consumer directed, and the consumer being the members of the space, the customers, the people that are actually using the physical space rather than what has been traditionally focused on, which is the actual physical square footage, the four walls, the, the HVAC systems. And I mean, this, this is going to absolutely need to, to change every single aspect of commercial real estate from HR to brokerage to facilities management.
0: I, I totally agree with you. And there's some more traditional models like the brokerage industry, I think is gonna be really disrupted by this approach. There's another, another item I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on, so let me just set it up. If you look at traditional vacancy in traditional um, commercial or corporate offices, um, typically what we would try to do is keep at least, you know, 8%, let's say, swing space. So, you know, you 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 want to make sure that there's enough space so that if you get surprised with a new requirement, hey, oh my goodness, we've got a special secret project and we need space for 1,000 people, or you know, that happens all the time. Despite our regular supply and demand process, we try we would always try to keep around four to eight percent of swing space, never low lower than four. But when you when you really look at like I look at a Deloitte and their studies and other consulting organizations of true vacancy of those buildings, it's anywhere from forty to sixty percent because people are working in distributed environments, they're at client locations. So the actual utilization of those real estate assets is quite a bit lower. And I think this is why organizations are fixated on utilization, so they can use their real estate assets to their maximum potential. So I guess my question is, setting it up with those statistics, between eight and, you know, let's say 50% utilization versus plan, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts And what do you think is gonna be the ultimate balance of fixed space versus co-working space? And, you know, and let's say by 2025, I always try to look at a shorter horizon as well. Um, So what do you think is going to be the right balance of co-working space versus fixed space, if you follow me, um, for, for companies by, let's say 2025? What are your thoughts?
1: I do think that again, depending on on the the scale of the company, that's going to vary somewhat. Um, If we're looking at like a a specific location, uh, so a specific building or a specific headquarters utilizing Kind of this this agile model, this flexible workspace model. Co-working is often considered the the more open plan, but how I actually see it is is again, it's just that flexible workspace. And so mm-hmm. a number of you know of open desks, but really it's also about providing kind of a cafe and lobby feel for people that like to have the more coffee shop environment. Um, making sure that you've got enough private spaces. I do think that one thing that needs to be uh, continually iterated on is, is how much square footage is allocated to private offices. We found that um, a lot of times you, you don't need a 250 square foot office for an executive. Rather, it's actually a better use of the space and you get a higher utilization rate if it's only about 90 to 100 square feet. And instead, providing the phone booths and the small breakout rooms for two to six people less of the the 10 to 12 person office space and even less of the large conference boardrooms and so shifting that even just at a single location uh, can help increase utilization rates on a per location basis. And then if you look across a portfolio, um, I I do see that type of co working model really coming to dominate and as soon as 2025.
0: I I totally agree with you. And the more adoption, the less uh, waste and more efficiency, because a lot of them are pay-as-you-play, right, and can be very great ability to adapt that. Not only that, it's just provide a great space to be productive and connected. So, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what kind of technologies you use to enable your workplace. I think I mean, there's so much technology and prop tech and cretech entering our world. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, like, specifically in your businesses and your, your companies, what kind of technology do you use to enable the co working experience?
1: Yeah, and this is, this is really fun because, I mean, this has been my, my latest project. As I, uh, after running the space in, in Tahoe for about five years, realized that I had a very unique insight on what it takes to run a co-working space. It's a very complicated business model. And so I founded a a tech company to do just that. So I've I've actually forayed into the property tech space myself. And um, as I was saying, you know, flexibility being kind of that core value, what that means for technology is mobile first. And so having the ability to Literally run my business from my pocket because that's where my phone is was a a key component of developing the Jelly Switch product. And so we actually use that to run CoWork Tahoe, and we we launched a few months ago, and we're starting to to spread Jelly Switch out to a number of other co-working spaces, very similar to my own. And what it does is it provides a a custom labeled, a custom branded mobile app. Because one of the other things, again, with coworking being kind of coolifying the commercial real estate world, uh, is you want your members, your, your space users to be interacting with your brand because then they start building loyalty towards that community and your specific style of flexible workspace. And so they get a mobile app to do that. And then they use that to get in the door. They use it to book meeting rooms. So all of it is digital. It, it's very quick to book a meeting room. So if you get a phone call at the last second, you can just with a couple taps dash in and you've got yourself a phone booth. Also to communicate with staff to see what's going on in the space. We have all of our events that are listed there. And that's a huge component to co-working is bringing in the events and networking and bringing people together so that they can have as little or as much Interaction with one another as they need to make sure that they're hitting their productivity markers. So much of productivity is about the the satisfaction and the happiness, <laughs> if you if you want to say it that way, of your employees and of your workforce. And so, providing a lot of um, again flexibility around networking options and removing barriers to isolation is is a huge piece. And once again, they're seeing all of that from their phone. They're interacting with it. There's high engagement. And then on on my end. Um, Like I said, this is a really complicated business model. So not only are we managing the physical space, we're managing all of the finances and all of the facilities and the humans that are here. And so it becomes very complex very quickly. So I need to be able to be on my feet and running around the building and making sure that I'm keeping track of my churn rate and my my long-term value of my memberships, but also you know, who's, who's getting married next weekend and is the coffee out and how, you know, how often do we have to run the dishwasher? And so I can do all of that directly from my phone. And I think that's a huge uh, key to where property tech needs to go is it needs to become incredibly consumer focused and not just building systems focused. You know, you need to be able to track all of that, but you need to track both of it. Uh, I wish I, it's like a
0: Picasso, what you just said. That's so brilliant. I love how you cover the spectrum of culture as well as productivity of your constituents. And you've covered both the emotional and the technical aspects of it. Um, cultural barriers to isolation and engagement and how do you create that wow culture at work, right? Um, and, I, and on the other side is understanding those barriers to productivity. Like where do I find a meeting room or how do I find... Just finding what I need quickly, being like that valet of the workplace. Like if you have the best minds, the best talent, you don't want them wasting time frustrated at the photocopier because it's out of paper or not able, waste 15 minutes trying to find a a meeting room. They could be having a brilliant idea. Plus you drag them down because they get frustrated, right? So I love how you look at it as a system of culture and technical productivity and I and the other thing I wanna underline about what you said is the buildings are important, but isn't it interesting how real estate is switching to be around the people first? And the buildings are in servitude of the people, whereas before I think we put people in buildings. And it's such a it's it's fascinating that it's just changed for the buildings and the building community to be in servitude of the productivity of the individuals. And you really sound like you've got a, a great system, okay, so a bonus question to follow up that then is you 've got a great design and you 've got all of the right elements. How do you evolve your business model and your offering to meet the changing needs of your clients? like nothing stays the same. Where do you get ideas to inform how you evolve your leadership decisions and evolve to meet the changing needs of your your community
1: yeah only thing that matters in the flexible workspace industry are the customers and so our and we you know we typically call them members in in the co-working world so the only way to really make sure that the industry and that our our specific business is evolving is talking to them and talking to them all the time. And there's, you know, there's a number of ways to do that. You can directly, you know, I directly chit chat and make sure that I am spending time with my customers. It's why I'm, I'm in the building all the time. But we also, through technology, you can provide feedback mechanisms. I track things like, you know, if a member hasn't shown up for a, for a number of weeks, Uh, That actually surfaces, and I can reach out and make sure they're okay. Make sure they're I'm not losing them as a customer. And so, making sure that you're getting enough of those touch points, so that you're always getting that feedback mechanism from your clients. We even track things like how you know, like which meeting rooms are being used the most, because that gives us insight into if our meeting rooms are sized right, if we have enough of them. And so, you you're getting customer feedback even that way. And so, making sure that you implement systems through technology and also through personal touch so that you are always customer-facing and customer-focused.
0: I love what you're saying. And just to underline a couple of things, it's brilliant answer. You're looking at both a combination of pac- passive and active feedback. Active feedback, meaning you ask, pick up the phone and ask them, survey and get the voice of the customer. But from passive feedback, you're also observing their behaviors and what they're actually doing in the space and how many people are using this type of meeting room versus that. And people vote with their feet, right, in their actions. They may not take the time to call you or tell you, but they are actually doing things. And they will do things based on their preferences. And you want to do things that are aligned with their preferences. So I really applaud you for looking at a combination of both active and passive feedback. And that is the best practice I've seen in the industry as well. Well, that's all I've got. I want to thank you I'm going to give you an opportunity to just give us one last bold wrap up statement, but uh, I want to thank you so much, Jamie, for being such an incredible leader and pioneer in our industry. I'm blown away by you. Amazing, brilliant, and inspiring woman leader in our business and and a physicist a co-working pioneer a prop tech entrepreneur it's like you're thinking in all cylinders girl good for you (laughs) so with that can you just feel free to just give us a wrap up I'd love please talk about your business and plug your business a bit because you've really educated and enlightened us today so if anybody would like to find out more about you and your business could you just share how they could um, reach out and connect with you
1: Sure. So you know, we obviously always love having visitors come through Tahoe. So if anyone that is listening wants wants to come visit me, my space is called CoWork Tahoe. You can actually find us in the App Store, and download our app and and shoot me a note through that. And then the app is is our product Jelly Switch. And so that services um, co working spaces, flexible workspaces, you know, any any building, um, and that you want to put this in the hands of your tenants and your users and your community managers. I love helping flexible workspaces thrive. I like I said, I do think that the future of work is distributed and flexibility is what's going to get us there. And so I love to support that through both my my little corner of the the Sierra Mountains in Tahoe uh, and with a broader reach through the Jelly Switch technology.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I feel like I've learned something today from you. And uh, I can't wait to work from your place. I'll have to look look you up in the winter. It's an excuse to visit Tahoe. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person out there someday, Jamie. Thank you for being such an incredible, thoughtful leader in our industry and such an incredible pioneer. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Lori. I appreciate all you do for the industry as well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N dot com. Thank you for listening.